So is Christianity a religion or a relationship? Uh, now, how many of you have had the experience of missing a live sporting match and then you've recorded it uh, or you've set it to record and you've tried all day not to know the score and who won and who was the winner so you can kind of watch it live and experience all the drama? Hands up, who's had that experience? And who's had the experience of someone telling you the result just before you're going to watch it? Now, isn't that just majorly annoying? Well, I'm going to be majorly annoying at the beginning of this talk and give you the answer to the question before I've even started. I think Christianity is a relationship, not a religion, or it's a relationship before it's a religion. Maybe that's not too annoying, because you're expecting me to say that. So let me make things a bit more controversial and say, I would say, according to the definition of religion that I'm going to outline in this talk, not only is Christianity a relationship, not a religion... I'd go as far as saying that God hates religion. So I'm going to be annoying and controversial and change the question of this evening to why does God hate religion? Uh, Every week we say no question is too feisty, no question is too simple. Well, I think potentially out of all the questions we've looked at, this is the most feisty question. According to the statistics I read this week, between 5 and 20% of people in Ireland don't call themselves religious. So this is a pretty feisty question because I could offend 80 to 95% of the population, whether you're a Christian, a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Jew, or part of any other smaller religion, or dare I say atheism, which is a form of religion, depending on how you define religion, you might find this a feisty question. If it's a feisty question on first glance, maybe it's a surprising question on second glance. I mean, isn't God the head of religion? Let's not get into the specifics of different religions and whether all religions lead to the same God. That's for another day. But isn't God the reason religion exists? Isn't the religion all about worshipping and adoring and loving him? Why would God hate religion? Isn't it a nonsensical question? Isn't he delighted with religion? Um, and maybe if you think back about some great heroes of faith in the past, like Mother Teresa, who would call herself a, you know, uh, she was a, p- a participant of a certain religion. You know, how could God hate religion when such good things have been done? And in fact, is God even allowed to hate anything? I mean, isn't the point he's a God of love? So first glance, it's a feisty question. Second glance, maybe it's a surprising question. Why does God hate religion? But then thirdly, Let me put it to you on third glance. Perhaps it's a natural question. A lot of people don't particularly like religion, including Bill Gates of Microsoft, who said, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. So maybe Bill Gates' dislike for religion led him to earn his millions. But certainly Oxford professor Richard Dawkins isn't a huge fan of religion, if you know anything about him. He said, I'm inclined to follow Robert Piercig when he said, when one person suffers from a delusion, it's called insanity. When many people suffer from a delusion, it's called religion. He goes on to say, I'm against religion because it teaches us not to be satisfied with understanding the world. And in Dawkins' best-selling book, The God Delusion, he has an advert that says, imagine no religion, no crusades, no suicide bombing. 
And then Dawkins, in his book, if you've read it, uh, details how religion fuels wars, foments bigotry, abuses children. And he looks back at history and contemporary evidence uh, to see that all that has been done in the name of religion, from the 4th century crusades to the fighting in Northern Ireland in the last two or three decades, to the bombing of 9-11, to much of the current fighting in the Middle East. Whether or not the different religions at large agree with the actions being taken... The actions being taken are being done often in the name of religion. Blaise Pascal was a French mathematician and philosopher and a strong Christian was very insightful when he said, men never do evil so completely and so cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. So why does it matter if God hates religion? I mean, isn't he just joining what millions of people around the world think? Isn't it common sense? Isn't religion causing a lot of problems in our world. Maybe it's a feisty question. I'm sure it is. Maybe it's a surprising question. I'm sure it is. But maybe it's also a natural question. Uh, when you look at it a bit deeper. So I guess. Does God hate religion? And if so why? And at this point I'd like to introduce you. To a person called Jesus. And what he has to say. About religion. You see not surprisingly. Jesus Christ was, bo- was a Jew. Born and bred in first century Israel. Jesus had a lot to say about religion because he lived in a time where to be religious was normal. For your first century Palestinian Jew, religious religion wasn't just an add-on to your life. It was the foundation and framework around which you built your life. People didn't wear religion lightly. They were fanatical about religion. In fact, the more religious you are, the higher your standing in society. Now, I don't know what you think about Jesus as you've been on the intro course and uh, what your impression of him is, but he's far from the glowing-faced, nighty-wearing pansy that is stuck in stained-glass windows with long, fluffy, blonde hair that's been washed and conditioned. He's not that kind of person. When Jesus disagreed with something or someone, he was happy to let you know about it. And although it isn't all bad, Jesus is pretty strong when he deals with a group called the Pharisees. If you read the historical accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you will see Jesus comes up with them eye to eye again and again. And so much that there's so much conflict between these two parties that the Pharisees would try and trick him and ask him a feisty question, a bit like tonight's question, to try and get him to say something inappropriate in public so they could dis credit him. Now let me just fill you in on these Pharisees, for those of you who don't know about them. They were unofficial, but a powerful Jewish pressure group. They were the religious purists, and their supreme concern and delight was to keep the Mosaic law of the Old Testament, especially the Ten Commandments. They knew their Old Testament back to front, they lived it rigorously. They, uh, their aim was that through intensified observance of the Jewish law, they would purify Israel. And then actually narrowed down the Old Testament to 613 laws which were to be obeyed. And some of them believed that if, you could, if we could get all of Israel to obey all 613 laws, the long awaited, and we purified ourselves through our religious observance, the long awaited Messiah would return and God would establish his kingdom on earth. And they developed their own traditions about the precise meaning and application of the scriptures their own patterns of prayer and devotion. They gave a tenth of all their possessions away and they fasted 
twice a week. They were the model Jews. People looked up to them. And they couldn't eat with people that weren't Pharisees. They couldn't eat with people, or they couldn't eat food that had not been tithed. And they couldn't eat from certain dishes. Because if the dishes hadn't been cleansed in a certain way, they wouldn't be clean. Moral purity, religious purity, was everything. Because they thought it was by being religiously moral that you were accepted before God. And so they strived to do everything they could to be accepted before God. They were disciplined, they were passionate, and they were opinionated. However, Jesus had opinions about them. And he doesn't mince his words. And so we're going to pick up a story at the end of Matthew's Gospel where the Pharisees have joined forces with one of their great enemies, the Herodians. But they've joined forces because they both hate Jesus. And they're trying to trick him. And it's a bit like two heavyweights who have come face to face. So there's been times, I mean, Roy Keane has been all over the news being named in the backroom staff of Martin O'Neill's Irish team, this uh, Irish setup. But Roy Keane and Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane and the Irish team of the past have had pretty major fallings out. And it's a bit like Roy Keane and Alex Ferguson disagreeing with each other. These two heavyweights eyeing each other up, trying to take each other down, blow after blow, almost taking chunks out of each other. And the crowds groan and cheer and ooh and ah as the debate becomes heated. So Jesus is in the thick of things. And this is what he says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So Jesus is a comedian. We'll come on to that. But Jesus picks up a very common aspect of the law. Give away a tenth of all your possessions. The Pharisees gave away a tenth of all their spices, as Leviticus and Deuteronomy in the Old Testament encouraged us to. But they missed a much bigger issue of the Old Testament, which is issues of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus doesn't say they were wrong for giving away their tenth, but they were wrong for not standing up for the poor and not standing up for the rights of the oppressed and not being faithful to their words. They did not discern the fundamental thrust of Scripture, and therefore they'd missed the heart of God. Now, Jesus is being ironic, and he's painting a picture which no doubt would have amused the crowds and made the Pharisees furious. You see, the gnat was well, one of the smallest insects which would breed during fermentation. So along came all the Pharisees dressed in their clever clothes and their religious pomp. And they're pouring wine through a gall strainer. And the gall strainer would obviously catch the infected gnat so they could drink some wine. And Jesus said, start doing all this pouring of this wine and making sure you get the gnat. And then you swallow a camel. And the force of the joke would have been stronger because in the original Aramaic, gnat and camel sounded very much alike. So Jesus, no doubt, was starting to entertain the crowds a bit. Jesus is saying, don't miss the big picture, the fundamental thrust of Scripture. And there's a famous verse that these Pharisees would have known about from the Old Testament, where the prophet Micah says, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. But you see religion had blinded them. From seeing the heart of scripture. And therefore the heart of God. They weren't loving mercy. Acting justly. 
and they weren't walking humbly with God. They were blind. So Jesus carries on. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrite. Clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. As I said, the Pharisees had this ritual where they would have to clean this cup so they could eat from it. And the Pharisees thought as long as you know, this, outside, this cup that they were drinking from was pure, they'd be pure. And Jesus says, don't you get it? It's not externals that matter. It's what's in the heart. And there's greed and self-indulgence in the heart that you can't cleanse by doing some external washing. And there's a famous verse again that they would have known. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. They would have known that verse from the book of Samuel. So religion had blinded them from seeing that their hearts were bad, full of greed and self-indulgence. And religion, religion had um, stopped them seeing that it wasn't the outside but the inside that needed washing. But Jesus is not content. There's seven woes. He has seven times he goes after them. I'm only picking up on three. So he carries on. He takes things from a different angle. In verse 27, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus now compares the Pharisees. I mean, he's going after them. He now compares the Pharisees to whitewashed tombs. So in festival season in Jerusalem, you can imagine millions of Jews are streaming into Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire for their you know, annual festivals, like the Day of Atonement. They'd all come in for miles and miles around. And so then you've got all these tombs of the dead bodies that are on the roads as you come in. So they'd paint them with whitewash so they wouldn't look so vulgar. But obviously inside they're dead bodies. It smells, it's rotting, it's decaying. And Jesus says, you Pharisees, you're spending so much time making sure the outside looks good, but inside you're rotting away with death. There's death within you. I mean, this is seriously... Serious stuff. Spiritual death lies below the surface of the most religious people, Jesus is saying. Do you notice that Jesus calls them, uh, religion had led them to be hypocrites, to look at the outside, but have an inside full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And religion had led them to be blind to the fact that they were dead inside. So they were hypocrites and they were blind. And did you notice those two words that Jesus uses again and again in this passage? Blindness to what really matters in spiritual things and an air of godliness, an air of religion that masks inner decay. The problem was that they were religious but they were dead inside. Religion had blinded them from seeing the heart of scripture and therefore the heart of God. Religion had blinded them from seeing that they were evil inside and religion had blinded them from seeing that they were nothing but dead hypocrites this is serious stuff and earlier jesus had spelt out the consequences of this dead religion when he said this in matthew 23 
Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying. You see, the real problem with religion is that you never get into the kingdom of God with religion. And then you stop others getting into the kingdom of God because you force your religion on them. They thought they could get to heaven, enter the kingdom of God, be accepted by God through doing good works. I reckon they said this to Jesus, you know, modern day. Look, Jesus, you've got to let me in because I live a good life. Look, I'm nice to people. If you, if you ask my mum, she says I'm really nice. I'm nice to people. You should let me in. I was baptised, yeah, as a child. I was baptised. Sh- that gets you in, isn't it? I thought... I was christened as a baby, okay? In our, in our denomination, you get christened as a baby. That's what we call it. Oh, no, I give blood. I remember hearing one person said, uh, and he asked them, why should uh, God let you into heaven? And he said, oh, I give blood. And yeah, that's a good thing to do. Um, I go to church. Maybe funerals, Easter, Christmas, weddings. I go to church. I read my Bible, Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. I shout up. You know, I go there when it's tough. I go to my favourite parts in the Bible. You know, surely... I say my prayers. You know I say my prayers every night. Just a quick prayer. Especially when I'm in trouble. I always pray then. But overall Jesus. Like you should let me in. Because I just try my best. To live a good life. And Jesus is basically saying. All this counts for nothing. It can make you blind. It can lead to hypocrisy. Externally you can look wonderful. But internally you're not pure, you're not cleansed. And he goes on, and this is where Jesus, he stops being a nice guy to lots of people. Because he starts saying things like this, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? I mean, do you believe this is coming out of the mouth of Jesus? If it wasn't awkward enough talking about why God hates religion, let's talk about hell and damnation, shall we? Thanks, Jesus. And he calls them snakes and a brood of vipers. I think that's fairly abusive and derogatory. Jesus is saying religion never gets you accepted into the kingdom of God. It gets you to a place called hell. His words, not mine. They went to church, they sang their hymns, they said their prayers, they gave their money to the offering. They walked old ladies across the road. They helped in the tsunami appeal. They raised their kids in a good way. They gave blood, they recycled their glass bottles, they drank fair traded coffee they did all the outward stuff and inside they're rotting the problem with religion is it thinks that by obeying certain rules it's going to get you accepted in the sight of God and it never can you see earlier in chapter 22 this is how the conversation had started hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees those other group of Jews they had a go at Jesus and he'd silence them in front of the crowds. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, the Old Testament law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Jesus says, you want to know what it is to be accepted by God? Love him with everything you've got and never love anything else. 
and love your neighbour more than you love yourself. That's the standard. And then you go, well, look, no one's ever done that. I mean, no one has ever loved God all the time, perfectly above loving the things of this world. And no one has always loved perfectly others before they've loved themselves. We know that's probably what we should do, and we all know we haven't done it. And so Jesus says this is what it is to be accepted before God, but none of us are going to be good enough. And now you have a choice. You can either convince yourself you are good enough and become blind and a hypocrite because you're blind to the fact that you don't do that and you become a hypocrite because you have to justify yourself. Or you can run to Jesus and say, I can't do any of this. Help me. And you see, that's what Jesus does later. And we're going to come to see how. But you see, God says, you don't need to go from being bad to being good. Becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus is going from being dead to being alive. You need someone, you need a heart, your hearts, our hearts aren't right. We need a heart transplant. We need someone to start our hearts again because they're rotting away without God. And so Jesus says this, just before the end, he says, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, uh, those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. This, one minute you've got Jesus talking about hell and damnation, the next minute you've got him talking about this most intimate picture of God's love. It's like a mother hen caring for her newborn chicks. This is God's unconditional, loving, caring, warming embrace of humanity. And Jesus says, oh, how I wanted you to come to me, Jerusalem. He's talking in Jerusalem to the Pharisees. And we see in chapters 24, 25, 26 and beyond what Jesus' love meant. And we've talked about it on week three. It meant he laid his life down. He said, for all those that could never love God perfectly, I'll come and love God with my heart, mind, soul and strength. For all those that could never love their neighbours above themselves, I'll come and show you what true servanthood and sacrifice means. I'll live this perfect life that each one of us should have lived. But then I'll go to a cross, I'll face hell and damnation and the judgment of God for each of us. And then it stops, and so if we trust in him, we might be accepted into the kingdom of God. And then all our good works become a response to his prior acceptance of us. That is Christianity. Religion says, I obey, therefore God accepts me. Christianity says, God accepts me in his love, therefore I obey. They're two opposing ways of viewing the world. And so we come back to that verse that Jesus is alluding to again and again through this whole passage. He says, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of us? Yes, to act justly. Yes, to love mercy. We've got to learn to walk humbly with God. What does it mean to walk humbly with God? It means to come to God and say, I can't earn my way before you. But I'll accept what you did on the cross for me. I'll ask for forgiveness. I know that you'll accept me and you'll change me. And then everything I do is a response to your love. I'm not trying to earn your love, but in to respond to it. You see, God is interested in a religion that transforms life, that changes the hearts, and leads people into the kingdom of God now and forever. I don't think it's a religion at all. 
I think it's a relationship. It's a relationship with your creator God through Jesus. And so that's why I think God hates religion. Because it stops people coming into a relationship with him. You know, let me just end the intro course, I guess, and this talk in my story. That is it. I remember I told you the story when I was 12 years old and I suddenly realised my Heavenly Father loved me more than I could ever imagine. And he'd sent his son, as Leanne said, to die for me so I could have a relationship with him. And that I was no longer to strive and try and pretend to be this great person. I was to give up all my effort and come in all my poverty and my weakness and my sin and my rebellion and just go, accept me, forgive me, thank you for the cross. And I knew his warm embrace. I'm not perfect. I wasn't then, I'm still not now. But I don't strive hard to change so God accepts me. I allow the fact that he has, set, I allow the fact that he has accepted me to be the reason and the power and the motivation for trying to live for him. My desires have changed. When you come into a relationship with someone, your desires change, your attitudes change, your ambitions change, your hopes and your dreams change. Your way you're, the way you deal with suffering and trials and uncertainty changes. This is what a relationship is all about. It radically transforms your life. So that's what I'm talking about. I think Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship to be experienced, to be embraced, and uh, to be transformed by. So here are the questions for this evening. What do you think of Jesus and the way he calls the Pharisees blind, blind and hypocrites? What do those two words mean? How can religion get in the way of A, understanding scripture, B, understanding the heart of God, C, seeing our own hearts, and D, coming to know Jesus personally? What positive examples are there of religion? But is religion the best word to describe these positive examples? What do you think about a personal relationship with God? How do you have one? What does it look like in reality? And uh, for all these questions, please put your table leaders to the test, but also, I guess, be honest um, with your own heart. So you might see that tonight in the intro course is slightly different. It's a bit more personal. And I guess I'd encourage you, it's the last night, we'll go to the pub afterwards and all, all the rest, but maybe don't go for the theoretical abstract questions. Think about Jesus facing you and saying, come on, what are you going to do with me? And he is like a... He says, God's love is like this hen that's just longing to gather us in. And the question is, will we accept that love? So thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the whole course and I hope this talk has been stimulating. Uh, we're going to do the normal thing where we'll get going now till 9 o'clock. We'll have a little soft break and then we have a, a hard stop at 9.30. As ever, these questions are a guide rather than a rule. So if you want to talk about other things, please do. No question is too simple and no question is too feisty. Thanks very much.